Welcome back, everybody, to the Cycling Tips Podcast. Ian, do you want to do it? Hello and welcome <laughs> to the Cycling Tips Podcast. I'm Kaylee Fretz, and joining me today, we are in Camp Quarry. No, it's all good. Welcome back, everybody, to the Cycling Tips Podcast. I'm Kaylee Fretz. That was Ian's terrible American accent. And we are here so at Camp Quarry in... Why don't you say it? Wollongong. There we go. How do you say it, Kaylee? Yeah, how do you say it, mate? I don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the gong. <laughs> and we're here to talk about worlds. So I think that most of you out there probably would have caught our episode on... Wednesday, uh, which was talking about some of the things that happened earlier in the week, all the time trials and things like that. Tonight, we are, what, an hour or so after the finish of the U23 race. We also had the junior, men's junior race this morning, and so we're going to talk through all of that stuff with me here today. Let's start over on that side. Matt Denief, our sort of chief reporter this week. So you've been the one on the ground in the press center uh, chatting with the actual riders and we're going to lean on you to ask what actually happened. Yeah, that's a terrifying today. prospect as well. Welcome. I'll see what I can do. And Ian Trellor, who still doesn't have a credential to this event. The bad boy of bicycle journalism. The bad boy of bicycle journalism. <laughs> Rupert Guinness, friend of the podcast, longtime friend of the podcast. Uh, I do have to mention every single time we have you on how many Tour de France's you have covered. Is it 31? Uh, 31, yep. 31 Tours de France uh, in your back pocket, and you're going you're gonna to help us chat about, uh, put this week in context, perhaps, as well as uh, analyze what happened today. Context. Context. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll <laughs> give it a try. That's what you're here <laughs> for. Let's kick off with the junior race. Uh, Matt, can you run me through what happened this morning? I can. Well, it started off uh, pretty sketchily. The first lap, we had a reasonable size crash on the the big descent there and lost two of the big favorites um effectively lost two of the big favorites the guy who won gold medal josh tarling in the time trial the other day the silver medalist hamish mckenzie also banged up pretty badly so that kind of effectively took them out of the race they didn't have much of an impact on it going forward it was a very aggressive race a lot of attacking um one of those races where it's kind of hard to keep track of everything that's going on um but then the, the last lap was fantastic. We ended up seeing a one-on-one -on -one battle between Portuguese rider Antonio Morgado and one of the pre-race favorites in Emil Herzog from Germany. They had this great thing going with, you know, one up the road and the other one chasing behind and time gap coming down and then Morgado waiting for Herzog at the end there. And uh, yeah, it was a very uh, aggressive race and very interesting final and a wonderful sprint actually very very hard fought sprint there at the end um, with Herzog winning it. You said something there that I want to I just want to stop you on which was the fact that it was it was diff difficult to control and somewhat unpredictable and we haven't really talked too much about the actual course yet particularly the city loops which is where they were racing today explain why that was the case uh, the course seems to be kind of built for that and i'd love some input from you as well Roop. and sort of what about this course is making us see the racing that we just saw yeah there's just a whole bunch of corners out there i don't know how many there are on course but um a rider that gets away is out of sight within you know a very short amount of time it's very hard to keep riders in sight once they're away a lot of little accelerations a lot of having to slow down for the corners um yeah, just a, a course that really suits attacking riding, I think, plus a couple of very steep climbs that also make a couple of tricky pinch points for the riders. So 
very technical course and one that I think is going to have a pretty big impact on the two days ahead as well. Look, well, obviously what Matt said, I, I would agree with. And I think, I think what's, what's emerged, though, from having seen the racing is what Matt was talking about, the technicality of the course in the build-up for these worlds. And since the course was announced, first everyone's talking about the Mount Kira circuit and, uh, and um, obviously Mount Pleasant, the hill, and, and, and how that will affect the, uh, the peloton as it goes over and over and over. But the technicality with the cornering is, seems to me to be the element that's, that's changed or shifted things a great deal in this, in this week. And I think particularly with the inclement weather at the moment, um, whether it's obviously we saw today it was really wet, but even if it dries up a little bit tomorrow, that can still be slippery. Even if it does, even if it dries up by Sunday, uh, it's, that technical side is going to make a difference, and and the finesse and and bike handling of riders to be able to take the finest line around those corners, as Matt was saying, you only need to lose a, a second, and then suddenly you could be off the back, and it, that could be not necessarily a technical thing by the me. It could be a, a concentration element. So. Uh, in the Aussie team press conference today, that's what they were saying. They're gonna, everybody's going to have to concentrate, not just or the whole race, not just wait for their, you know, for the finale to come down or the middle of guts of the race. Everyone's going to have to concentrate from from the very beginning. So um, there's going to be some exhausted riders, not just physically but mentally, by the by the finish. There was a bit of a. Uh, is it controversy or are we making it up? Any, uh, maybe we're going to find out. Um, it's just a chat. Just a chat between two guys. It's just a chat between two guys. Uh, we don't really know what they said. Matt, explain what I'm talking about. What so, happened? Yeah, coming into the the final, the guy who ended up winning the race, uh, Herzog, turned to uh, the guy who ended up coming second and said, can I win it? And uh, Good question. Good question. And the answer was yes. Yes, he could. <laughs> and he did. Um, the interesting part is that they have the same rider agent. They are going to the same team next year. Um, so there mm. is – you could speculate that there was something going on there. I, I have. And, and some have. <laughs> or it's, he was just looking for ex external validation. Can I win it? Please tell me I'm good enough. Um, the only thing I would say to that is having seen – um, past the finish line, the two of those riders embrace and then see how devastated Morgado was having lost it. That to me suggested that it wasn't like, a, hey, I'm just going to give this to my mate or whatever it might have been that's being alleged. He gave it everything was the, was the impression that I got. Um, so this is why I wanna a wanted to ask you because I think this is one of those things that can kind of get... Um, well, taken out of context or blown out of proportion sometimes by the internet, as much as we love the internet, we work on the internet, but uh, the fact that you were there and you saw, well, the reactions, like the human reactions, I think that's maybe more, more telling. I think that the, the sort of facts of the case are, are, are kind of somewhat damning, right? We, we, are, we already went through those, but the fact that maybe it was just regret, who knows? <laughs> uh, but the fact that you saw that, that sort of deep sorrow uh, at the finish line, I think I mean, is, is telling. He could be a really good actor, but the emotion that I saw there behind the kind of staging area was of a guy who was devastated to have put in an amazing race. He was incredible to then have lost at the final moment, having given it everything. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I mean, who, who really knows? We're just kind of speculating here, but my feeling is that it probably wasn't. Yeah. I was going to say, I was reading your story, Matt, and I, that, that was great, you know, as what, 
traditional journalism is about as well, being there on the scene behind behind the stage and seeing those things happen. Uh, it was great to read it. And, and just watching the replay of it also with his uh, disappointment before, as he as he realised he'd lost it. I mean, again, that's very good bike handling skills to throw your arm up and down in such bash the bars fierce way and bash it in yeah. wet conditions. Yeah. Um, not suggesting I'm going to go and try it sometime, but you know, uh, you know, if if, it, if there had been some arrangement, um, he could have just rolled across the line and shook his head and ridden away. So, and, and if there was an arrangement, why would you hang around? <laughs> I'd be out of there pretty quick. <laughs> it wouldn't be the first time in cycling that that, that such a thing has happened. No, uh, 2012 <laughs> Olympics, London. Yes. Yes, uh, there, was, there was in fact an individual doing some translating today that, uh, that may have been slightly involved in something like that prior. I'm not going to say <laughs> Allegedly. Names, uh, allegedly. Uh, we don't have the legal department here. So uh, we'll maybe leave that one where it is. I don't think we will find out until one of them retires and writes a book, and then we'll find out. I should just say, it was an amazing race. That The last lap of that was incredible, really good aggressive racing, and uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of those guys in future. And I particularly liked Morgado and how... Uh, how much panache he showed on the bike, his kind of facial expressions and the kind of you know, up and down on the bike. It was yeah, pretty cool to watch. Enormous waste of energy, but we like to see it. <laughs> I just liked that he was like a 17-year-old with a beard. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to see. Most of the junior winners are. Uh, what was it? Was it Quinn Simmons and Harrogate with a, with a, a much larger beard than, than even he had? <laughs> Let's move on to the U23s today. Uh, we also have, not really controversy, but at least something interesting to talk about from this particular race. But first and foremost, Matt, run me through the what happened. Oh, it just rained. It was really, really wet. I don't know if you guys saw the start, but uh, the riders are just queued up at the start line for probably 10 minutes and just bucketing down. And it's just one of those days where you're just grateful you're not a bike racer and that you can be sitting in the media center watching it on, you know, in the warm and the dry. <laughs> Um, a break of six led for most of the day, um, but behind them it was super aggressive. A lot of attacks, a lot of you know bunches breaking up, coming back together. One of those races again where it's hard to keep track of where everyone is and who's on the move. Um, Evgeny Fedorov was in a couple of moves, one solo and then one towards the end that ended up bridging across the remnants of the breakaway. Then he was in a group of four out front and then two, and it was two guys, him and uh, Matthias Facek from... Uh, Czech Republic that went to the finish and it was there that uh, Fedorov won the sprint quite easily uh, and again that sprint looks sketchier than the other one actually in terms of uh, collaboration just rolled it in <laughs> yeah I would say that's accurate I, I don't yeah who knows but he certainly didn't look as disappointed as uh, as the other door I did in the under 19s kind of a couple talking points out of the U23 race uh, the first one was I think everybody saw it kind of came together-ish, was very close to getting caught, and then everybody sat up and it spread back out, right? So I guess the first talking point is, did the French, and what, the Norwegians and the Belgians, who else had, had, had multiple riders in that front group, did they screw it up? Or was that just sort of the result of two very strong riders? Yes. That, there we go. <laughs> Easily answered, I think, in that case. Uh, the, the next kind of, again, controversy-ish, uh, is just the, the guys that won, and in particular, the rider that won. Um, he is a second-year World Tour pro and just finished the Vuelta 
and has raced Paris-Roubaix, and there is some discussion as to whether riders like that should be allowed at all in the U23 race. I'm gonna take the temperature here, and actually, I don't think I ever mentioned to the people that are inside the internet here that uh, we're in front of a live audience tonight. <laughs> there we go. Huge audience. Woo! <laughs> thousands of people. So I'm gonna ask all of you first, and then also all of you, what you think of this particular question. We'll start with, with the panel up on the stage here. Matt, what do you think? Uh, it's complicated. I need to think about it more. Uh, I think he's less than 23 years old, so he should be able to race in the under 23 category. But it does feel a bit weird having a guy who's raced the welter two weeks ago to be winning the under 23 race against guys who are on continental development teams. Yeah, I agree with what Matt said. I think that that seems sensible. Um, I think that there's an important need for an under-23 category. But you also have all of these young riders. There's, like, Remco would be in that category, for instance. And he's just won the world. The last couple of winners of the Tour de France. The last couple of winners yeah. of the Tour de France. And likewise in the women's field, um, Sarah Giganti won the Australian National Championship when she was 18. So what do you do with those riders? I, I think it's a, a tricky answer that I'm sure people will, I don't know, <laughs> put some time to figure out, but I'm not one of those people. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's an issue which, uh, uh, it's not just uh, something that's risen in this week, you know, it's something which has been going on for a few years now, but I think the UCI has to look at, at you know, reassessing these categories. Um, okay, you've got the junior category, but, you know, as we've mentioned, you know, you've had Tour de France winners and uh, Welter winners um, who fall into that category and improved world tour riders fall into that category. So somehow, you know, like the, the day and age has gone now where under 23 riders, I remember, you know, who would be thrown into a grand tour and the big question would be, would that one under 23 rider finish the tour or be allowed to finish the tour? He would be put in and deliberately pulled after two weeks because they thought it was too hard for him to do. So I think they the have times to... times have changed. The times huh? have changed. The, the evolution <laughs> of the young rider yeah. um, being too young to do a race. It is like if you're good enough, you race. So yeah. I think that somehow they have to ch change the, uh, the age group category or change the name of the category. Somehow there has to be a change because there's, there's too much crossover now. Um, and you'd like to think that whoever wins that category is the best in the world in that category. Mm. So if you, I know bike race is bike race, right? But even if you won today, you're not going to say you're the best under-23 rider in the world when well, you know there's others who are in the elite category. It's also could, kind of a pointless jersey because they can't really ride it wearing it anywhere. Like it, yeah, it's just straight true. to the pool room. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that being part of a World Tour team would help them prepare better and all the rest. And it, it is kind of an unlevel playing field at that point. Maybe they're on a World Tour team because they're better to begin with. But I'm kind of with mm. you, Rupert. Yeah, I, I think there's some danger of kind of going back to the old, you know, amateurs aren't allowed in the Olympics kind of kind of stuff, and that that there is some there's some other ramifications to that perhaps. But I I generally like the idea of essentially saying if you're a World Tour pro, you probably shouldn't be in the U23 race. But I like you could apply this to lots of different categories. But I then mean, what about like the pro teams? What about continental riders? Like uh, there's there's all of these shades of gray. Anyway, it's a tricky one. I don't think we're going to solve it right now. But I, it, just the, the, the results of today's... What was that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, close the doors. We need more party in down here. <laughs> We've got a whole fridge worth over here. I think we'll be all right. <laughs> so, so the idea there was to drop the, yeah, drop the age of the U23. 
I would like 12 year olds. <laughs> Bring it down. Bring it down. Oh. We're recording that. <laughs> You're going very red there. You're definitely not getting accreditation in now. In the mate. race. In the race. <laughs> Am I going to jail? <laughs> I can see some flashing blue lights outside. I'm moving on. I'm moving on from this stuff. Scrap it? Scrap it. All right, we got we got to we got to vote for scrap it. Which we just we should we vote right now. I think it's done. There is no under 23 race next year. <laughs> Let's We figured on. it out. We're not going to solve it. We're not going to solve it, but it it just brought up an interesting I don't remember actually in in recent years. I'm trying to remember who won the U23 race last year and I cannot who run the U23 race last year. It's an Italian guy. Some Italian guy. Yep. There we go. So probably not, not the same debate last year. And he actually did wear the under-23 World Champions jersey for a couple of races last year. At the end of the season, some Italian one days. There you go. Fun fact. <laughs> that was been a fun shown. Fact. Uh, let's Just move getting on. schooled left, right, and center up here. <laughs> let's move on to tomorrow. Now, we are going to have another one of these podcasts tomorrow night, so we're not going to go all the way to Sunday on our little preview here. We're just going to talk tomorrow. Uh, but that still means we have two races to talk about. So, Matt, what are we talking about? Talking about the junior women's road race tomorrow morning and then the combined elite and under-23 women's road race tomorrow afternoon. Uh, I can elaborate if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we've done it. Please, Please do. Okay, yeah, we're, let's we're move good. on. We're done. <laughs> uh, Zoe Baxted is the defending champion in the under-19 women's uh, road race and will be hard to beat. It's probably a course on paper that doesn't suit her, but she's so much stronger than everybody, than everybody else that she should still win. Uh, and then the yeah, the race in the afternoon will be uh, amazing. I think there's going to be a lot to talk about from that. Uh, I don't know where you want to start with that one, but there's yeah a lot to talk about. Let's start with just favourites. Uh, the Dutch. <laughs> yep. The Van Vluten question kind of hangs over everything at the moment. Will she be able to start? She's on the official start list according to Amanda Spratt today. Rip, you were there for that presser as well. Um, but she does have a broken elbow. She does have a broken elbow. She has raced before with fractures. Uh, she can't stand up on the pedals, which is a problem for someone who spends a lot of time standing up on the pedals. So I would expect that if she races, she won't be anywhere near as potent as she normally is. still think Netherlands can win it with probably two or three different riders. Voss, um, Vollering, you know. There's Any a, of the team. Yeah, anyone else on the team. Uh, I think, yeah, they probably start still as the favourites. Um, a lot of Kopecky from Belgium, possibly. The Italians have a couple of really good options. Lisa Longoborghini, Silvia Persico, I think, needs to be hmm. uh, factored in. She was excellent at the Tour de France Femme. Um, Liana Lippert for Germany. The Australians have got a bunch of really good options. I think it's a wide open race with a, a lot to, to play out. What do the uh, what do the AI robots think about this, Ian? Okay, so one of the cooked emails that lobbed its way into my inbox this this week was what a computer thinks will win. Uh, so we have, according to AI, the probability of placing Mariana Voss forty two percent, so most likely to win the world championship. Annemiek van Vluten on 22.96%. Demi Vollering <laughs> uh, on 18.46%. So we, we are in with a shot for a, a Dutch podium. So, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, bitterly disappointed in fourth and fifth, we've got two Elises 
from Italy. Uh, and then, then we sort of go down from there to Amanda Spratt in 10th, which is an interesting selection of cyclists. There's certainly 10 names. Well, so, so where did this come from? Just for, some, for, for context for the listeners out there, if they have not read the story that is up on cyclingtips.com. Uh, it is from a company called Decision Inc. Australia, who are claiming that they have, uh, through machine learning, used advanced data analytics, data, sorry, data, Kaylee, uh, analytics to solve complex issues like the top 10 <laughs> <laughs> in the world championships. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's what they think. I think that the How list isn't too bad. How accurate do we think that is? Do we, do we think that, that the computers did a good job? I think that there are some clangers in there. There's no Grace Brown. They've got Amanda Spratt above Grace Brown, which seems a little off to me. Um, and it was also before Van Vluten broke her elbow. So that probably throws a bit of a spanner in the works, but who knows? It's more like horse racing odds than anything. I mean, yeah. I mean data's data, which, which is interesting, but... Yeah, you know, the dynamics of a road race, data can't take into account what can and possibly happen and does happen. So um, I, I actually, with all due respect to the story, <laughs> I actually think the data's a load of bollocks because... Um, Fair. Oh, but I've never been good with data and, you know, I can't... I've never been good with stories. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think... I do think that's oh, a very good story, very good assessment of, of something... But I think that, that just, I mean, even like you look at the Dutch uh, podium we're talking about here, and I think, you know, one of the, the major weaknesses of the Dutch is their, their, their tactical sense collectively. You know, they stuffed up at the Worlds last year and at the Olympics. <laughs> but saying that, that could be their strengths tomorrow. You'd like to think if you've... I'm not saying they're working together for the top three. They're just going to cross the line. <laughs> they're all going to flick each other, aren't they? metres apart. <laughs> Just right away. Just right away, yeah. Anyway, but it, I agree. It's going to be a fascinating race. And, um, uh, yeah, it's certainly a race really looking forward to. And then throw in the mix of what the weather's going to be like. But uh, uh, I think the Aussies do have a have a, a good chance in there. Yeah. And, um, you know, Amanda Spratt, hey, Matt, she was, she was confident today, I thought. You know, and uh, I think... I think it also helps that there are other options in that team and there's clearly an underlying strength of unity in that team. You know, when I was asking them if, uh, you know, we hear all this talk about unity in a team and we're all here just so long as we win. And you hear that from other teams, uh, but you sense it's not really true. You can see as they sit there, you can see them look at each other going, I'm ready to flick you tomorrow. The Wout Van Aert, Evenepoel but, question. Yeah, but yeah. That, that, uh, that Aussie press conference today, you, you can tell that they're all in there so long as the team produces its best performance, no matter who wins, they'd, they'd be as wrapped as they were if they won it themselves. So I well, think it'll be a great race. One thing that the Aussie women talked about was just how unpredictable the race is going to be. They've got you know, a bunch of different plans on how it's going to unfold, but they just said they have no real idea. Um, such a, a dynamic course and uh, yeah, they have no idea. I suspect other teams are the same. They'll just react out on the road to whatever happens and yeah, whatever way it goes, Australia's got some some really good options. I think we'll be we'll be there out. Should we make some picks? Probably Voss for me, maybe. I don't know. We can delete this when <laughs> when we are shown to be idiots, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ian's pick. Longo Borghini. Hmm. Can I change mine? Yeah. I want to say Sylvia Persico, actually. Just on uh, how good she was at the Tour de France Femme. She was 
among the best riders at the race and the most versatile on all terrains. And I think that will serve her pretty well. Uh, she's a cyclocross rider as well, so she's got the technical skills. Uh, I think she'll do very well tomorrow as part of a very strong Italian team. Roop? Sport will be the winner. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm not just... No, I, I really, I've got no idea, honestly. I, I, uh, I just don't... I, I, I could tip someone, but um, it would... I just really don't know. But that's part of my... Uh, why I'm excited about it. Um, and I think that... Uh, Pizza's here. There's going to be so many... Yeah, yeah the pizza's, pizza's going to win. Yeah, murmur's gone through the crowd as pizza's been passed around. So we, we, we've lost people's there attention. there hungry fans out there. Uh, Kelly, can I just jump in quickly? Yeah. There's another interesting factor of the, the race tomorrow is the under-23 women's part of yes. it. Yes. You might well have been just getting to that. But uh, the under-23 women's category is being awarded separately for the first time at this year's Worlds as part of the same race as we see at the Aussie Nationals and other events as well. But the race within a race creates a very interesting dynamic where some riders are working for elite teammates, some riders are going for the under-23 jersey. Uh, some teams have just chosen not to send on any under-23 yeah. riders at all. Like but Australia. But yeah. also some teams that may not be necessarily so strong in the elite division may have an under-23 rider who they could position well to win the under-23 category. Yeah, so Neve Fisher-Black's a good example. I think she's nah. uh, riding for New Zealand and she's in that under-23 category and a, a really decent chance of winning that. But then you look at some of the other riders like uh, Guazzini for Italy, Van Anroy for the Dutch. They'll probably be riding for their elite leaders. Um, so... It's going to be fascinating to see how the teams with riders in both classifications balance their ambitions, whether they just don't worry about under 23 uh, and just focus on elite or, yeah, how that's going to play out. It's going to be, yeah, interesting. Crowd picks? Sierra. Atlanta Sierra? That's a good one. Volering? Anybody else? You think it's hard enough? We had Utrecht Ludwig in there. Anybody else? Kash is a good one. I can't think of anybody else. Grace Brown. Grace Brown. Kapeki? I think Voss is going to take it. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I think that's it. pretty much it for us. Can we wrap it? Yeah. I think we're going to wrap it up, and then we'll do a little Q&A. So I'll do that. I think that is it. For us today, thank you to our live audience. We have to make noise again. <laughs> Where we actually forgot to talk about that. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> so, so what just happened was as we tried to wrap up the podcast, a a banner unfurled that says "Free Ian Trellor." <laughs> Uh, just as an update, just as an update, like I said before, Ian still does not have credentials, um, and we still have no actual sort of real response from the UCI on that front. Uh, but stories are coming out in the next 24 hours that are going to make them seem even dumber. We have fun. We're going to have some fun this weekend. Uh, this is amazing. Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you. That's incredible. <laughs> Say thank you to Dreams and Memories Vintage in Bulleye. 
There's a lot of really good second-hand shops in, uh, in the Illawarra, but they are the best. They provided all the materials for our, uh, for our giant banner. Uh, we'll chuck a photo of this up on Instagram and Twitter and whatever else. So if you're not here, you can see exactly what we're talking about. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with another live episode from, I think we're going to be here again, right? Camp Quarry. Until then, thank you everybody for listening. Thank all of you for showing up. And we'll be back tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you.